next up is our keynote speaker for for spring break i'm really excited about this guys so this is neil walker from uh he's the director of christian challenge at usc and i've known him for several years he's been a huge influence in my life i spent uh a summer uh, in southern california under his leadership at a project impact and that summer was just a huge uh, moment for me to just learn more about uh, just what God wanted to do with my life. And at some point through learning that summer, I decided to to come on staff and continue to serve with Challenge uh, after I graduated. And I really feel like Neil's influence over that time, uh, leading that project, serving in that way, uh, was a tremendous influence on me. And so I am just thrilled for you guys to hear from him, to learn from him, and uh, I, here he is. Welcome, Neil. Thank you, David. It's good to be here with you guys. Tell you what, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. Hey, we're going to uh, be doing this. is my first time to uh, use this particular medium right here, so I'm really encouraged to be with you guys. It's going to be a lot of fun, I think. Um, we're going to be looking at some things and just uh, walking with God this time. So uh, I think it'll be a uh, it'll be a good time for us to do that. Um, we're going to be looking particularly at, at uh, laboring, and I don't know where some of you guys are uh, as far as like uh, your background in this. I'll, I'll tell you this: when I first came to college, I was a relatively uh, young Christian. I I'd been a believer for a little while but hadn't, um, hadn't really grown that much. I remember trying to ask people, okay, hey, what do I need to do and how do I grow? And they would say things for me like, well, you know, just uh, pray and read your Bible. And I would think, how do you do that? I was so confused. And so as I got to, as I got to school, I just remember thinking, boy, I really want to learn. I really want to know how to do this. And what ended up happening was I met a few guys, and those guys were um, were really different. I mean, they really took the Bible seriously. They really got into it. And as I watched them, I remember thinking, you know, wow, I would like to uh, have a life like that. The problem was, um, the only problem really that I saw was they were very, very different than I was. I mean, many of those guys were exceptionally quiet. Um, I had been an athlete, and most of those guys weren't that athletic. Um, you know, I, I was just a naturally funny person. Those guys didn't seem to laugh much. And so um, I remember it kind of came to me one night. I was walking around. And I remember walking around out on the uh, football field outside of uh, – my dorm. And I was uh, talking to God that night. And I just said, you know, God, um, I, if I need to be like them in order to know you, I'm really willing to do that. But God, um, I don't know why you made me like I am, if, if you do. Uh, so if, if I need to be quiet and boring, uh, I, I'm willing to work at that. You know, and uh, it was just shortly after that, I met a guy named Mike. Now, 
Mike was a guy that um, I could really relate to. Mike was a guy that was a few years older than me on down the road. And he, um, you know, he was big and I was big and, you know, and he was athletic and I was athletic and, you know, and he was uh, loud and I was loud and he was funny and I was funnier. And, and it was just, it was a great match. I mean, we just got around each other and boy, I'll tell you what, that made all the difference in the world. And I'm convinced, you know, there's probably somebody on your campus right now that's looking to meet somebody just like you. The difference with Mike was Mike was a real laborer and he began to get me into the scriptures and he began to expose me to some books and some men and some things. And, and I remember that um, I read about the life of a guy named Dawson Trotman. And I read about how God really worked in and through his life. And I, I, well, I was intrigued by him. And then shortly thereafter, I heard a guy named Max Barnett. And Max shared a little bit about his own life and his personal testimony. And a little while after that, I was at a conference. And I remember walking out of that conference, one kind of like this. You know, it was a, uh, it was a conference that went on for several days up in Wichita, Kansas. And I had gone to it. And I remember coming out of that conference thinking, you know, I don't really know um, what job I'm going to have the rest of my life. I really don't know, um, you know, exactly where I'm going to be or what I'm going to be doing. But I am totally convinced of exactly what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I am going to labor and make disciples the rest of my life. And that was as clear to me that day as it is these many years later. And that's what I began to do. And one of the reasons I was convinced about that was a verse we're gonna look at right now. If you have your Bibles, feel free to flip to this, or if you have them on a phone, or if you just happen to know it already, it's found in Matthew 9, 35 through 38. And Matthew tells us this, he says, and Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And um, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were like, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Now you look and you think, okay, why laborers? Well, one of the very reasons you see right there in verse 36 is Jesus saw the people and he, he describes them. He said they were harassed and helpless. In other words, they were hurting people. They needed help. They needed encouragement. They needed somebody to step in and help them. And his solution for that, no, it wasn't something that, you know, we just came up with, you know, but his solution for that, he said, is laborers. Verse 37, you know, the need is laborers. And one of the other things that I noticed about that was he said, there's not many of them right now. The laborers are few. So what I'd like us to look at in some of our time today is why 
is there such a shortage of laborers? Why are the laborers few? Why is it? I mean, you know, if, if the real need of the world can be met through laborers, why is it that the laborers are few? So let me give you five reasons why I think that is. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of launch from there. One of the very first reasons is just we don't like the term itself. You know, if, if Jesus had started off and he said, hey, the harvest is plentiful, but the CEOs are few. Well, we don't like that, you know. Or the harvest is plentiful, but the, the supervisors and the managers and the bosses are few. We'd have been like, well, you know, if I have to, I'll step up and be a CEO or I'll be a manager, I'll be a boss. But too often what we're looking at is like kind of a title. And we tend to think of laborers as something that's really kind of beneath us. I remember the summer I graduated from college and I was getting ready to go on staff down at the University of Oklahoma and work as an intern down there in the ministry that was going on. And as I was had the whole summer free, I decided I was going to get this job. So I got a job working delivering uh, appliances and delivering furniture for Sears. And so I was out, you know, every day we would load the truck up. We'd get there early in the morning. We'd load the truck up. We'd go around and deliver refrigerators and washers and dryers and sofas and everything else. And I would look at some of these guys and I would think, wow, that's what these guys are doing, huh? And honestly, I was exceptionally arrogant. I mean, I had just graduated from school. Most of these guys had never been to college. And I remember looking and just having kind of this view of myself like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is why I uh, went to school. So I wouldn't be working here. And all of a sudden, about a month or so in, I began to get to know these guys. And I began to look around. And I began to realize, wow, I am grateful for these guys. You know, I mean, if it wasn't for these guys, then these older women that have ordered a refrigerator, how would they get that into their home? Or how would they get that washer and dryer hooked up? Or how would they get, you know, their furniture delivered? I thought, this is great. These guys are honest, hardworking people. And I really began to see things very, very differently. You know, the term Jesus uses here for labor, it's, it's a word. It just means an ordinary field hand. And when you start looking at it, it's a common worker. When you start looking at that, you know, one of the things you see, if it wasn't for common labors, if it wasn't for common field hands like that, I mean, we wouldn't have food on our table. We wouldn't have food in the grocery stores. It's these guys that do all of the work out there laboring in the fields. They're the real reason that you can walk into grocery stores and just pick things up and enjoy that, you know, because of laborers. There's a gal I know, her name's Rachel, and uh, she's married. She has four boys, and she and her husband are really raising those boys to walk with God. Now, she grew up in a country where Christianity was really opposed, and, and when she came to the university, that was really her mindset. I mean, she just didn't even have a second thought about God. 
But then she met a laborer, a gal from SC named Grace, who'd gone to live in her country. And they became friends. And over time, Rachel became a follower of Jesus. And she married a guy who was a really strong Christian guy. And suddenly her entire future was changed. And not only her future, but the future of her family. Now, how did that happen? A laborer. A laborer crossed her path, became her friend, and ultimately was used by God to really reshape her future and her family as well. When you look in the scripture, one of the things you see there, like in John 9, 4, is that Jesus was a laborer. I mean, in John 9, 4, it says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me, Jesus said, because night is coming when no man can work. So Jesus's answer to this hurting world was laborers. We need laborers, but sometimes we just don't like that term. You know, another reason I think that that there's not that many laborers is, boy, the enemy, Satan himself, really opposes laborers. Now, why? Because he always attacks at the most strategic arena, not the peripheral. You know, you never see, you know, the enemy really worried about, you know, somebody that's playing, you know, gospel ping pong or something, you know, or somebody that's out here, you know, uh, doing something on the periphery. He doesn't care about that. But boy, laborers, that he really gets fired up about. So how, how does he tend to oppose them? How does he tend to kind of attack them? Well, sometimes he does it by just getting them involved in some really poor choices and some really bad habits or around some really uh, people that are going to take them off. That's one way. But other times he just gets them busy with good things, doing good things that you get distracted with and the very thing God wants you to be about, you're not about because you're just busy doing a lot of other good things. You know, that's one of the things you're gonna to have to really be careful on in your life is that you don't get caught up with doing so many peripheral good things that you miss out on the very thing that God meant to give your life purpose and meaning. So, you know, don't do that. Another thing the enemy does is oftentimes he tries to just discourage us. You know, John says he is the accuser of the brethren and the accuser of our brothers and sisters. He accuses them before God day and night. Now, you can't let the enemy discourage you with lies. You can't let him go in and begin to say, well, you know, a lot of times people start walking with God. They start trying to really get involved in the lives of people and really help them. And all of a sudden, boy, the tapes begin to play and they begin to think, oh, I remember when I was like this. I remember what I did. No, 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 no. You know, when that happens, you know, take the enemy to Colossians 2, 13 and 14 and just tell him, you know what? All that has been paid for. All that has been taken care of. And walk with God, believe the truth. Can you imagine the impact of your ministry on your campus, in your community, if everybody that was a part of Challenge there was a trained, dedicated leader? Well, I guarantee you the enemy can, and that's why he opposes it. He opposes it because it scares him spitless. And you know what? That's something we need to really lean into, laboring. 
But third reason, we really oftentimes don't have the right focus. One of the real reasons we the labors are few is we don't have the right focus. We tend to want results that are immediate. You know, we we want things that impress people. We want uh, we get caught up in numbers. One of the things that you want to do is you want to really focus on the very thing Jesus focused on, which was people. And what you want to do is figure out who is the person that I am working with? Where is my man? Where is my woman that I am working with? And focus on the fact of being a laborer. We we can get caught up in that sort of thing a lot. You know, um, you look around and there's a world of people to help, but the focus can't just be on crowds. The focus has to be on individuals where you begin to see people that you're working with there. You know, inoculations are one of those things that are in the news a lot right now. And kind of a simplified look at inoculations, if you haven't looked around, I mean, all, all these people out here, I've got to get this vaccine. I've got to get this inoculation. I've got to do this. What happens with that is they give you just enough of the virus that you are in no danger of catching the right thing, of catching the real thing. What I would submit to you is this, men and women, when we get caught up in just the crowds and we're not really worried about helping people move forward in their walk with God and really grow and become disciples and follow after Jesus, what we end up doing is we expose them to just enough of the gospel that they're in no danger of the real thing impacting their lives from then on. So we need to focus on them. We need to figure out how do we help them to grow. Don't get off on the wrong focus. You know, true growth and transformation takes time. And laborers understand that. Laborers understand that developing men and women who continue to invest in others, that's going to take time. So we really want to work on that. Now, Jesus knew we needed a picture in our minds of the task before us. And therefore, he has Paul, one of the best laborers of his day, the Apostle Paul, speak to that. And he says this, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. And in another part, he says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom. You know, what he's really saying is, you know, that laboring is a lot like parenting. It's a lot like parenting. I was talking to our son the other day. He has three small kids. And he and Katie, they can get worn out sometimes with them. It's, it's one of those things where, you know, just, you know, kids take a lot out of you. And he was telling me a story. He said the other morning he got up and he said he kind of he kind of walked into the shower. He was existing on about three hours sleep that night because they have one that's really, really young, not even a year old yet. And he said, you know, that basically he would get in there and he had some coffee with him and he would set the coffee up in the shower and he would sit there in the shower and let the shower hit him. He would drink a little bit of the coffee and let the shower hit him and drink a little bit of the coffee and try to get set for the day, you know, and, and now, why would he do that? 
I mean, why would he do that? Why, why not just, you know, stop taking care of the kids for a while? You know, just say, hey, I'll tell you what, we're tired. We'll be back a few days. See ya. I mean, you ever thought about that? Why not do that? Well, good night because he's a parent and he's taking care of these kids. They mean so much to him. He loves them, you know. He would never do that. That's the very thing Paul's trying to get at when he says, hey, guys, we were like a, we were like a nursing mother with you. Or we were like a father with you. He's saying, hey, you know what? We took personal responsibility. We were laboring over you. Now, will they spend hours and hours, Jeremy and Katie, you know, caring for, encouraging, comforting? You bet. You know, nobody ever said that was going to be easy. But what they know is that one day all that's going to pay off. And that those three kids will be responsible adults who are able to repeat the process that they just went through. Just like a parent, a laborer is not surprised that the work is hard and the days are long. You know, they're not surprised by that. But like a parent, they understand that they play an indispensable role in developing others who will one day be able to do the same thing with others. So that's one of the reasons, you know, they just they just need the right focus. Another reason is, you know, that there's not many laborers. It's just hard work. It's just hard work. We really like comfort. And if you haven't noticed that, I mean, just hang around. People like comfort. Laboring can be hard. There again, it's kind of like parenting. The days are long, but the years are short. I mean, you know, there's sometimes you think, oh, my gosh, this longest day. But all of a sudden, your kids are just up and grown. You know, you're like, wow. The other thing is, you know, it's hard because nobody's patting you on the back all the time. No one's walking around going, oh, wow. Look at you. You're helping labor over here. No one does that. I mean, you know, a lot of times it's hard. We don't even have a category for laboring sometimes. I mean, what we think of tend to think of professionals like pastors and missionaries and things like that. And then we think about just regular people. We don't even have a category for people that are laboring and laboring. It often just goes unnoticed. But the only time that people begin to notice when there are not labors is when they're not around and the work is not getting done. Then they really notice. Peter Marshall, a guy that was um, for several years, he, he was the chaplain of the United States Senate. He t used to love to tell a story called the keeper of the spring. And in this story, he talked about this quiet forest dweller who lived high in the Austrian village up in the Alps. And you know, his job was to go around for this town and he would clear out all of the twigs and branches and and just the, the poor things that would clog up the streams there. And as long as he did that, man, the town flourished. You know, the, the streams were clear and visitors would plug in and it was a beautiful town and everybody really enjoyed themselves and all the the birds and wildlife were there and the restaurants were flourishing. Everything was going great. But then over the years, one day the town council was meeting and some of them were looking and they said, what's this here in the budget that says keeper of the springs? 
I don't, I don't really know why we spend money on that. That doesn't seem to make any sense. Why don't we just cut that out of the budget? So they said, okay. And so, you know, they got somebody to go and find this guy and tell him, hey, you're, you know, you're out of a job. You don't need to do this anymore. And at first they didn't really notice it. But then what they began to find was over time, the streams began to be full of scum and they began to just be all clogged up. And over time, there just became this foul odor to the town and everything else. And over time, all of the tourists left and over time, the whole town began to kind of grind to a halt. And, you know, disease and everything else was being spread. And they realized, wow, we need to do something. And realizing their big mistake, they went and hired back the keeper of the springs. And within just a few months, the river began to clear up and tourists began to return and everything began to do well. What the keeper of the spring meant to the village, laborers mean to our world today. You know, how many of you driving down a road, oftentimes out in where we are right now, where we live, they have the roads torn up. They're in the process of replacing all kinds of pipes under here and things like that. But how many of you, as you drive down a road, think, I am so grateful for laborers? No, you don't think that. I mean, most time you don't think anything about i mean it's just hard work and people aren't thanking you for that when when i took a trip to vietnam vietnam several years ago we were driving up this one bumpity dirt road and i mean we were out in the middle of nowhere and we're driving along and i just glance over to the side and i see these huge piles of rocks with these huge rocks i mean and i see two old women sitting there with these hammers pounding on a rock. And I thought, I wonder what they're doing. Well, we were gone for about a week and we come back through that same part and that bumpity road that was there that was just, you know, potholes everywhere is now a gravel road. No more piles of big rocks, no more women in sight. What they had done was they had just beaten those things down. Those were common, ordinary laborers doing the hard work of making life better for all those people around them. Sometimes the reason, you know, there's few laborers, it's just hard. You know, lastly, one of the reasons it's really hard and we don't have laborers more, we don't pray for them. Did you see what Jesus said? He said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Pray, therefore, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. It's not that people don't pray today. I mean, they pray about all kinds of stuff, although sometimes they don't pray enough. But, I mean, they pray about all kinds of stuff. The problem is they don't pray for laborers. What we do is we forget there are things God will do if you pray that he won't if you don't. You really need to be praying. We forget that the need facing the world today is met by laborers. Laborers are those people who are equipped, motivated, and intentional about being involved in people's lives, moving them from wherever they begin to maturity in Christ.
Let me tell you that again. Laborers are those who are equipped, motivated, and intentional about being involved in people's lives, moving them from wherever they happen to begin to maturity in Christ. See, Jesus's solution is simple. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. Now, you may be thinking, you know, okay, um, I think maybe I need to be a laborer. Maybe I need to look at that. So what does that entail? Well, I'm glad you asked. We're going to look at that next time. What does it really mean to be a laborer? What do you do? And what, uh, what makes that up? So let me take and turn this back over to Dave and the crew now. David? To hear from you and to just learn about just different experiences you've had and like all these things really just drive this point home about being a laborer. And I'm really looking forward to us just learning more about what that means. So thanks so much, Neil. And so we're going to continue our time with some worship. And after that, we'll get into some workshops.